Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Hey, before I get into the message, I wanted to go ahead and just take an opportunity for us to pray for the country of Ukraine. Uh, we have some former church members that uh, one man specifically who lives in Ukraine has for the last few years. He is there currently, as far as we know, he is still there currently. Uh, we spoke to him a couple of days ago and he was telling us that he's just in this major dilemma because he basically put it, brought his whole family, his life over to Ukraine. Uh, they've built a house and, and now he's facing the dilemma of whether or not uh, he's already sent his family on, but whether or not he should leave or if he's gonna take up a weapon and defend his home. And uh, you know, all of us can hypothesize of how we would respond in a similar situation. I promise you until you're in the middle of it, you just have no idea. And, uh, and so I just can't imagine, you know, as, as they're, they're asleep right now uh, and <laughs> trying to sleep, I wouldn't imagine there's probably a lot of sleep happening, uh, but just the, the, the worry and the fear, uh, all the thoughts surrounding them. Uh, I will say this though, I, I, you know, I don't think this is a part of God's will per se. I do know that God works everything to the good of those who love him are called according to his purpose. And so the other reports that we are having is that there are thousands and thousands of people that are surrendering their life to Jesus in the midst of all of this. And the body of Christ is doing a good work. The pastors, uh, the churches, they are taking care of people like crazy. They're shouldering the burden. Uh, they're doing a better job than the government of taking care of people and loving people. And I'm so thankful for that, but, uh, but I think they also need our prayers. So can we agree together in prayer right now? Father, uh, we lift up the country of Ukraine. We lift up every person who's there. We thank you, Lord, for the leaders, the believers that are showing the love of Jesus, uh, that are representing the hands and feet of your son. And we pray, God, that they would not become weary in doing well. We thank you for your divine protection. We thank you, God, for an outpouring of your spirit and supernatural strength and word of mouth and the ability to discern and to speak into people in a way like your, your disciples did on the day of Pentecost, Lord, that you would give them that kind of miraculous strength and power to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your protection over pastors and churches. We pray, God, for wisdom over their leadership. God, we pray for strength for their military. And God, we pray for all of our men and women who are now being deployed to go and respond. And, and I thank you for all those families. And we pray your peace that transcends understanding the guard of the hearts and minds of, of those husbands and those wives and those families that have a lot of unknowns about what this is gonna mean for them. We thank you, God, that you're with them. God, uh, we know that we live in an evil world with evil men, but we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We serve an eternal God who still sits on the throne. And we know, God, that you are gonna use this situation and what I think will be many more situations to come to grow the kingdom, to bring glory to your name and to bring salvation to people. And so we lay claim to that promise 
and we speak it over the country of Ukraine. I pray, God, that this would be a catalyst for the greatest revival that has ever happened in that country. And Lord, would you bring it to our country as well, whatever it takes, Father. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees said amen. Amen. I think there is an inherent need in every human being to be known. Not every person acts like that. A lot of people act like they don't wanna be known, but I think pretty much every person wants to be known. I think there's also an inherent need in every one of us to know. We wanna know. We wanna know what's really going on. We wanna have people that we really know. How many can't stand fake people? Anybody out there just can't stand fake people? Uh, Fake people, they're hard for me, uh, for sure. But I think we wanna know people. I think about being a a kid growing up. All of our superheroes wore masks. You ever thought about that? Like they always wore masks, but I think that was part of the intrigue of it. The reason why we like those superheroes is because in front of everyone else, if you will, the characters of the show, the characters of the movie, nobody knew who they were, but we knew who they really were. We knew that and that helped us. We like knowing who the people we look up to, what they're about what they represent. It's hard though when the mask is there. Honestly, probably one of the hardest things over the last couple of years for me to deal with is mask. I don't like dealing with masks. I'm not making a political statement. I'm not making a health statement. I just don't like masks because I can't see people's faces. I like being able to see people's faces. I like to see if they're smiling. I like to see if they're frowning. I will say I used it to my advantage a few times to hide a face that I was making. Uh, How many of y'all have a little bit of a difficult time knowing what your face is always doing? Anybody else in the house? Okay, I would suggest you practice in front of a mirror. You say an emotion, see if your face matches the emotion. Just gonna throw that out there for free. But I I didn't ever like the mask because I just couldn't always tell what was going on with people, their faces. I like to know. I think that's the reason why we like shows like the, the uh, what is it, The Masked Singer. What's that show called? The Masked Singer. We like shows like that. I got it right. <laughs> Clearly, I watch it all the time. No, but we like those kinds of shows, right? Because they come out, and the truth is we're not even really like that enthralled with what they're doing. We just like, whose voice is that? Who is that person? What's going on? We want to figure that out. Well, I think because of our desire to be known, but also to know, that's why this series is so important. Who is Jesus? Who is he real? Psalm 2410 asks the question, who is he, this king of glory? And I think that that is a question that has probably hit the hearts and minds of every person in here. Hopefully it's hit the hearts and minds of more and more people around the world. Who is he? Who is he? And then a declaration. The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. He is the king of glory. I think one of Satan's greatest tricks is to try to create a false image of Jesus so that you don't see him for who he really is. It's not uncommon for me to get into a conversation with someone who I'm counseling maybe someone who has questions about Christianity, uh, even people that have been believers or they confess themselves as being believers for majority of their life. And during that conversation, you can start to gather that there's clearly a pre-existing context for how they see God, for how they see Jesus. 
A lot of it is developed because of how other spiritual leaders have acted in their life. Maybe pastors, maybe church leaders. A lot of times it's because of their parents, their moms and their dads. And because of all that context, they have this image or picture of God. Or maybe they just don't really have any picture of God. And they might say something like this. How could I ever follow a God who is? And then a lot of times they'll list off a bunch of things. Who does this? And they'll list 15, 20 things, and you can tell, man, they've put a lot of thought into this. But almost without exception, when they get through speaking about their context and how they see God, I'm able to say this. I've got really good news for you. I don't believe in that God either. Because that is not who God really is. That's not who Jesus really is. It reminds me of, like, at circuses, or at uh, carnivals where they would have the thing set up that was like a maze, but it was set up with mirrors. You guys remember that? And a lot of times they'd have those mirrors that they were misshaped so that when you walked in front of you, it misshaped you. It, it changed what you looked like. So it would disorient your ability to see reality. It would get you lost. That was the goal. The goal was if we can use these mirrors to get them misdirected. And I feel like that a lot of times is exactly what the enemy does with us when it comes to Jesus. He likes to set us in a room with misshaped mirrors of who Jesus is and tries to get us disoriented because if we can't see an accurate reflection of Jesus, we certainly can't see an accurate reflection of ourselves. And then we're disillusioned in an identity crisis that causes us to fall into a world of sin. I think that's what the enemy likes to do. And that's why it's so important to ask, ask the question, who is Jesus? Because the issue is that the shape that the world and culture and certainly our own pre-existing expectations and context tries to put on Jesus is not always accurate. Most of the time it's not. We will get this idea that he is somehow hateful, judgmental, distant, political, weak, or he's like Santa Claus. We just ask him for stuff. But none of those things are truly Jesus. I believe that if people got a clear and accurate picture of who Jesus is, they would want to, with full passion of their heart, pursue him and follow him for the rest of their lives, if they had an accurate picture of him, which is also why it's so important that Christians, Christ-like people, present an accurate reflection of Jesus. So for the next few weeks, we're gonna try to take a clear look at Jesus. But here's the great thing about Jesus. He was not bashful. He told us exactly who he was. And he delivered on who he said he was and what he would do. Our text today is in John chapter 10, starting in verse 10. It says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life, have it to the full. Come on, get you some of that. Not just living but a full life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it scatters. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep, but I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, just as, isn't that powerful? Like the same way that God knows Jesus the Son and Jesus knows God the Father, that is the same way that he 
wants to know us and us to know him. That's so strong. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So I think a good question to ask is, who's the hired hand? Who's the hired hand? I think you should ask that for your life. Who's the hired hand in my life? I think the hired hand in any one of our lives is any time that we let something or someone lead us. In other words, it becomes paramount. It becomes most important. Something or someone that leads us that ultimately will not lead us consistently, love us unconditionally, or secure us eternally. That is the hired hand in your life. So anytime that you start following something or someone and put it as a priority over your intimate relationship with Jesus, you've just made that the hired hand that is leading you in your life. And the problem is it will never stay consistent. It will not care for you and love you unconditionally. And it has nothing to do with your eternal purpose. So you can't let those things lead you because when push comes to shove, all that stuff, peace out. It'll leave you. It'll abandon you. Jesus is the good shepherd. I think it's interesting when God decided to compare us as people to an animal. Think about that. He had a lot of options. A lot of options. How many of you have ever called somebody an animal name before? Anybody in the house? I know I have. I have called people animal names. I have called people snakes, rats, leeches, sloths, dogs, Giraffes, I know the last one's a little weird, but if you've ever seen a teenager going through puberty that had a growth spurt, they look a little bit like a prepubescent giraffe trying to run around, like, especially if they play sports, it's awkward. But out of all the animals that God could have compared us to, and he had some options, he looked at us and without a shadow of a doubt said, yes, they are like sheep. There's hardly a lot of solid qualities about sheep. Intellectual, there's not much there. You've never seen sheep doing tricks. You notice there's not a lot of sheep videos on TikTok unless they're doing something stupid or hurting themselves. They don't have a good sense of direction. They just wander. They wander off, they hurt themselves like crazy. They don't even have enough sense that when they've eaten all the grass that's around them, to move to a place that has more grass. They won't even do that. Like they can literally be standing feet away from a place that has lots of grass, but they won't move to that. They will literally sit there and eat their own poop before they will move to fresh grass. And God says, yep. Y'all sheep. They don't have an ability to defend themselves. No one has ever had a sign in their yard, beware of the sheep. They don't have fangs, they don't have claws. Even the world describes helpless, weak people as sheep. They have very sensitive nerves. They're skittish, very skittish. They scare very easily, whether it's thunder, lightning, loud noises, even wind, and sheep will startle and scatter. They've even done studies to show that sheep have a lot of depression and anxiety. And some of you may say, I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that. I'm, I'm a pretty smart person. 
for a sheep. Some of you might say, no, I'm pretty tough. Like, I'm pretty tough. Like, I can defend, I defend myself. Oh, you coming at me? I defend myself. I'm pretty tough for a sheep. I'm sorry, but for a sheep, that's not that tough. That's like being a tough interpretive dancer in an MMA fight. It's just not that tough. It's not really going to go that well for you. But I think this is one of the most powerful characteristics of a sheep. They cannot clean themselves. Think about that. Like insects can clean themselves. Dogs clean themselves. They can even dry themselves. Cats clean themselves. It is creepy and demonic to watch, but they will wash themselves. But sheep, a sheep will literally die in their own filth if a shepherd doesn't step in. Some of you have seen this story. I have a picture I wanted to show you of a sheep that was in its own filth. So they found the sheep in Australia. One funny thing about this story, the sheep's name is Barak. B-A-A-R-A-K, Barak. I'm sorry, I just think that's good dad humor right there. Look at that. They cut 75 pounds of moldy, nasty wool off of that sheep. There was so much wool and so much filth that it gathered that it, it couldn't even defecate correctly. It was compacting around it, literally carrying pounds of its own fecal matter because it wasn't being taken care of. They cleaned it up. Barak's doing a lot better. But I think that is a perfect picture of what every single one of us are like without Jesus. We are carrying around the burden, the weight, the filth, the stench of our inability to clean ourselves. And the fact of the matter is, even if you do think that you are good at cleaning yourself, you are still gonna be filthy. Anybody who's ever raised kids before, you ever sent a kid to take a shower? We have one particular child that when we send them to take a shower, they will come out and there will be one eighth section of their hair that is wet. And we will say, did you take a shower? And they will say, yes, I took a shower. And we will say, your hair is completely dry. And they will point out the seven hairs that are not <laughs> dry to suggest that they took a proficient shower. And that is exactly how it is for every one of us. Even our best effort to clean ourselves falls incredibly short. So this is Jesus saying, trust me, you need me. I am a good shepherd. How is he a good shepherd? Well, he holds us close to his heart. Isaiah 40, 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I love that picture. You know, there's a lot of creation in animals that if an animal and sheep, it works this way with sheep, if they can be held close to a steady and consistent heartbeat, it calms them. Uh, they won't always have the same heart rate, 
but the calmest their heart rate can be, if it can be close to a calm heartbeat, it will calm them. Uh, that's why it's good when babies are born to have that skin-to-skin contact. That's part of it because you're setting the rhythm that they know where they can not be anxious, where they can be comforted. I love that picture. And when shepherds would carry sheep, especially if they had to carry them for a while, they'd put them over their neck, but they'd always put the head, the front portion of the body, over their left side so that that side of their body could hang close to that heartbeat, close to their heart. Have you ever thought of yourself like that, though, in relation to God? Do you know what's on the top shelf of God's heart? It's you. It's always been you. You personally, you're not mass produced. You're not a part of the blob of humanity. Jesus sees you and somehow in his greatness and in his mercy and in his, his grace, you are close to his heart. And the fact is you may run from God and have seasons where he's not close to your heart, but there has never been a season where you were not close to his. As a matter of fact, the closeness that you see, the relationship that Jesus had with Peter and with James and with John is the same closeness available to you. How encouraging is that? Even when you blow it. And all three of those guys showed proficiently that they could blow it in a major way. And Jesus still wanted them close to his heart. I love that. When you're raising kids, and especially as those children become creatures known as teenagers, when that happens, you will have days, seasons sometimes, when it will get ugly with a side of nasty. There will be times maybe even seasons where you will be tempted to research boarding schools in North Korea. (laughs) And I've had those seasons. I also know that I've been in the middle of some of those seasons and looked at my children and thought, man, I sure love them. I sure love them. Those little twerps. The Father heart of God, Jesus, the good shepherd by his spirit, even when you have been in the most shameful, the darkest, the dirtiest season of your life, he has only ever looked at you and said, I sure love them. I sure love them. I just want them to be restored. I just want them to be healed. You don't wanna know why? Why do I look at my kids like that? They're mine, they're mine. Every human being on the earth is God's. They just are at different points of understanding the reality of that and surrendering to it. Every heartbeat of a human belongs to God. 
He also became your substitute. He became your substitute. Verse 14 in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay my life down for the sheep. Does it say, I lay down my life for the good ones? Does it say, I lay down my life for the bad ones? No, the Bible is not a book of good sheep and bad sheep or good people and bad people. The Bible is an example that shows us that there were nothing but bad people. There are only bad people and only one good God, only one good Jesus, only one good shepherd that ever lived, but also died on our behalf. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I bet a lot of you don't see yourself that way. I bet you haven't woken up very many mornings and said, watch out world, here comes the righteousness of God. But when he looks at you, he sees you the same way he sees his son, if you've accepted that relationship. Thankful for that. If you have kids, I bet you there's also been times, and even if you don't have kids, I'm sure there's been people around you in your life where you've had this thought, I wish I could take their place. I wish I could take this on for them. I wish I could take that pain for them. If you ever had a sick kid, you've, you've definitely felt that. Like, I wish I could, I wish I could take this sickness. Wives have thought that about their husbands because let's just face it, men are terrible when they are sick. They're like, I'd rather I was sick. This poor baby's driving me crazy. There's a lot of truth to that. But there's definitely been times when we've wanted to take the place of our kids. I think one of the reasons why so many of us parents are passionate when we watch our kids playing sports Okay, let's just be honest. Parents have a tendency to live vicariously through their kids. We have a tendency to do that. So a couple weeks ago, my son Reeves, he's playing basketball and they had him down on the post, down on the block. Uh, if you know my son, he is not built for that position. Uh, he's a lot like me when I was his age. If he turns sideways and sticks out his tongue, he's gonna look very similar to a zipper. And, and but they had him down there and he had a guy that he was trying to play defense on was definitely twice his size. Uh, almost twice his height, but definitely in weight, twice the size of my son. And the whole game, that guy was pushing my kid. Not just like getting legal position playing basketball, but literally just trying to push Reeves. And Reeves held his own. He kept getting back on him, kept playing defense the whole time. But at one point, it came to the end of one of the quarters, and as that kid was walking across the court, I may have raised my voice to a volume of passion and said, pick on somebody your own size. 
And at that point, I was like, just put me in, coach. Put me in. I will put my son's jersey on, play under his name, because this kid needs a lesson. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He put on our jersey. Not just to give us the authority to overcome the things that come against us. No, he took the good, the bad, and the ugly. He took the weakness of it too. And he became our substitute. He subbed himself in for us. He became a substitute. He's a good shepherd. He's also pursuing you relentlessly. He's pursuing you relentlessly. There was a, a servant at one point, and the servant saw an opportunity to steal from his master. He happened to live during a time of history when if a servant was caught stealing something from their master, they would be put to death. So overwhelmed with the desire to have what he stole, he did it anyway, and then he ran. He ran. He ran a long ways. He ran as far as it would take for you to run from here to Salt Lake City, Utah. That's about the equivalent. And when he got to that place, he got a job, ironically, working at a prison. There weren't a lot of prisoners at this prison. In fact, there was one primary prisoner. And this prisoner was incarcerated for illegitimate reasons. He didn't do anything wrong. He was innocent. But this prisoner preached the gospel. And one day that servant heard the gospel and he surrendered his life to Jesus. And the servant went to the man who had delivered the gospel to him and he told him his story. He told him his testimony. He told him how he was carrying this guilt and this weight. He told him how far and how long he had been running because of what he had done. And he told him who he had stolen from. And to the amazement of both of them, when he told the servant the name of his master, the man who had led him to Jesus said, I know him. In fact, right before I was arrested and put in this prison, I led that man to Jesus. And so the man who had spoken to both the master and the servant said, I wanna write a letter. I'm gonna write a letter to your master. And in the letter, he reminded the master that he had surrendered his life to Jesus. And because of that, they were brothers in Christ. And then also said, and by the way, your servant is here too. And he surrendered his life to Jesus. And so he's now your brother in Christ. And so you need to forgive him. But I'd also like to cover everything that he had stolen from you. I will pay for it. I'll cover the cost. And he sent that letter with the servant back to the master. 
and they were both reconciled. The relationship was healed. And that is how we have the book Philemon in the Bible. Paul was the prisoner. I love that story because it shows just how far the nature and spirit of Jesus is willing to pursue someone to have them reconciled, to have them restored and healed. What about you? Do you recognize that he's pursuing you? Are you making him chase you down constantly? We know he's a good shepherd. How good of a sheep are you? <laughs> what kind of a job are you creating for the good shepherd? Or the other shepherds in your life? At one point or another, sheep follow shepherds. They just stay close to them. They stay close to them. I love the 23rd Psalm. Most of us are familiar with this Psalm. We've heard it at one point or another. Even if you weren't raised in church, you've heard the 23rd Psalm. And really, this is a great passage of scripture that you could preach on regarding the good shepherd. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall... I have all that I need. This is the New Living Translation. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. You are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare feasts for me in the presence of my enemies. Father, we pray that over the nation of Ukraine right now, every believer. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. And this is what I wanted to get to. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. So maybe for some of you, it's just time to stop running and let him catch you. His love and mercy is pursuing. But maybe you need to just stop and let him catch you. In my Bible reading, I, I, I read through the Bible chronologically. I have been for the last three years and then read through it in different reading plans before that. But I just finished up Exodus. And so I was reading previous to that uh, or in the beginning of Exodus, reading about the plagues brought against the Egyptians. And, and so if you're not familiar, here's where the plagues that were brought against the Egyptians to get Pharaoh to release God's people to worship him in the wilderness. It was, he turned water into blood. There were frogs, lice, gnats, diseased livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness for three days, and then ultimately the killing of the firstborn. But I've had this thought several times when I've read through these plagues and how stubborn Pharaoh was, right? But I've also had this thought, which one of those plagues would I have finally repented because of? You know, like I hate gnats. 
that would have drove me crazy. Like, I just don't like bugs flying around my head, around me. That would just, I'd be like, okay, I surrender. Do what you gotta do, Lord. But it's interesting, when the plague of the frogs came, there were so many frogs, they couldn't even walk around. They would just walk on frogs and say they'd be dead. Some people like frogs. I think they're creepy. I don't, they're nasty little things. But, but there were so many frogs, they couldn't sleep. They couldn't, they couldn't function because of how many frogs. And so Pharaoh calls for Moses, and Moses comes, and, and Pharaoh, he did this multiple times, basically with every plague. Will you please call on your God to get rid of this? And so he asked Moses to do that. Would you call on your God to get rid of these frogs? And Moses asked him, when do you want them to be gone? And this always is so interesting to me. Pharaoh looks right at him and says, tomorrow. Tomorrow? Like he could have said, how about now? And God would have gotten rid of him in that instance. But I think some of us, we live in the same deception, in the same temptation. I'll just wait till tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll give tomorrow. I'll serve tomorrow. I'll be obedient tomorrow. I'll forgive tomorrow. I'll confess tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. So don't put off till tomorrow what God can do in an instant right now. Amen? Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. You're welcome, Holy Spirit. Would you just invade every space, our emotions, our thoughts, our physical bodies. Would you just come and make yourself known? Father, I know that it's gonna be like peeling layers off of an onion for some of us to get to a place where we have an accurate picture of your character. I thank you that you help us as we go through this series to peel those layers because your first and most important priority is that every person, everyone who's here right now has an accurate understanding of who you are, Jesus. But not just for us, but so that we can also be an accurate reflection to those who don't know you. But for at least a couple of people, maybe several in this room, that whole process starts with surrendering to the pursuit of the spirit of Jesus. And some of you, you have run your whole life and have never surrendered to Jesus pursuing you. Some of you, you feel like maybe you did at one point, you said, okay, I, I give up, I surrender to you. But right now you don't feel close to his heart. You feel distant from it. You don't feel the security, the calmness, the peace, the acceptance, the warmth, the love, the mercy, and the grace of being drawn close to the good shepherd's heart. You don't feel that right now. And maybe there's some of you today 
it's time to surrender. And if you've never done that, you've never surrendered to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you need to rededicate your life, you need to come back to him today. Make today the day. And if that's you, I am not trying to embarrass. That isn't the heart of God. That isn't the spirit of Jesus. But I'm gonna ask you as an act of your free will and in faith and confession, just to admit that it's you. Between me, you, and God, would you just say, it's me. I know I need him. If you're willing to admit that, I'd love to pray with you. I'm just gonna ask you to put your hand up right now across this room. As soon as I see you, you can put your hand down. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Got it. Yes, sir. Got you, bro. Anyone else? I need Jesus. I'm away from him. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? I'm ready to surrender him. Yes, got you. I got you. I saw you. Thank you, Jesus. Look, you raising your hands not what gets you saved. But I promise you, every one of these people that just raised their hand, as soon as they did that, man, they felt faith released inside of them. Right now, what's, what's laying on them is not the guilt of their sin. What's laying on them is the grace of Jesus. Is there anyone else that needs that? I'm ready to surrender to Jesus. I'm ready to make him my Lord and Savior. I got you. I see you. Anyone else? Any of the stubborn sheep in the house want to give you a, one more chance? You look just like Barak. You've been running. You're carrying it all. You don't have to anymore. Let him clean you. Anyone else? I'm away from Jesus and I need him. Okay, got it. Got it. You're so good, Father. You're so faithful. Thank you for meeting with every one of these people that raised their hand. Might have been a couple stubborn people that didn't. That's okay. You know where their heart's at. So every heart, God, that right now is leaning towards you in humility and saying, I'm broken. I need you. Thank you for meeting with them on a personal and intimate level. And I would encourage you, if you're making this decision, you need to go public with this decision. You need to declare your faith in Jesus. Tell somebody as soon as the service is over, tell another brother or sister in Christ. Get water baptized as soon as you can. We'll have an opportunity in about a week and a half. But right now, let's just talk to him. Let's just be honest with him and say this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I believe that you came and you died on the cross and you paid the price for my sin. And I don't understand all the details and I don't even understand how you could love someone like me. But by faith, I accept that love and I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. And I also believe, Jesus, that you rose from the grave. And when you rose from the grave, you defeated my sin, past, present, and future, and you defeated death itself so that I have the hope of heaven. But God, I'm not interested in just waiting on heaven. I wanna walk in your purpose now. I wanna walk in my calling now. I wanna be a good reflection of the Jesus that I now know. And I wanna understand who he is as my good shepherd. And as I walk in that process, God, would you by your grace, give me the opportunity to share that with someone else that needs to see and hear the same thing. Thank you. But I know that the only way I can do any of that, I can't be in control. I can't be in control. I can't clean myself. I can't lead myself. 
I'm not interested in just having a one-time appointment with a savior. I wanna have a full-time surrender to a Lord. So I surrender to you, not just as my savior, but would you take control of my life? I give it to you. I give it to you and I repent. I stop, I turn away and I turn towards you. Father, I thank you for every person that's making that decision. Thank you, good shepherd. Thank you, spirit of the living God. Continue to help us all. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.